This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. If you have the feeling that hostility to religion is on the rise, well, the facts back you up. The U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom's 2017 report states, the state of affairs in international religious freedom is worsening in both depth and breadth of violations. Now, certainly, we've seen this, particularly in the Middle East. But what about here in the United States, where freedom of religion is enshrined in our Constitution and Bill of Rights? In 2014, the Family Research Council issued a report titled Hostility to Religion, the Growing Threat to Religious Liberty in the United States. The FRC recently published a 2017 update, and that update states that since the original report three years ago, the number of religious freedom violations domestically increased by 76%. I discuss this disturbing finding with Family Research Council's Travis Weber on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. I'm Sarah Golseth with news in brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. Coach Joe Kennedy took his fight to be allowed to pray silently on the football field to court, appealing to a bench with a liberal reputation. In late October 2015, Kennedy lost his job with the Bremerton High School football program in Bremerton, Washington, after administrators repeatedly told the Marine Corps veteran to stop praying on the 50-yard line. Kennedy's lawyers argued before a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit in Seattle, asking the judges to overturn a U.S. District Court ruling against him. The Chaplain Alliance for Religious Liberty is commending Republican Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa for her training program amendment that the Senate Armed Services Committee passed during their markup of the National Defense Authorization Act. Ernst offered language that urges the Department of Defense to develop a comprehensive training program for commanders, military lawyers, and chaplains concerning the implementation of religious liberty provisions already passed by Congress. First Liberty Institute sent a letter to the Beaver Area School District of Beaver, Pennsylvania on behalf of Mariah Bridges. The 2017 graduating seniors' personal graduation remarks that included religious content were mischaracterized as deemed, quote, not permissible by the school district superintendent. First Liberty's letter sent to the superintendent and members of the school board sought a meeting with the superintendent in order to protect students' religious expression. The letter also asked for a written statement acknowledging that the school's actions were wrong and a pledge that the school district would not censor religious speech in the future. A California judge tossed out 14 of the 15 criminal charges brought against the Center for Medical Progress's David Delayden and Sandra Merritt for exposing Planned Parenthood's involvement in selling aborted fetal remains. The San Francisco Superior Court dismissed 14 of the charges, but one against merit for conspiring to invade privacy will still be considered. A Kentucky bill signed by Republican Governor Matt Bevin allowing public schools to offer elective classes teaching the Bible recently went into effect. The new law allows, quote, local school boards the option of developing a Bible literacy class as part of their social studies curriculum. California has widened its ban on state employees traveling to other U.S. states after more states introduced laws to protect religious liberty. 
Attorney General Javier Becerra announced that California will not fund work travel to Texas, Alabama, Kentucky, or South Dakota. Other states, including Tennessee and North Carolina, were already on the banned list. These states have all passed laws in recent years to uphold religious liberty, including the freedom of people who believe marriage is the union of a man and a woman. World Liquor News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. The work that he will I'm Kip Allen, World Lutheran News Digest host. My guest today is Mr. Travis Weber of the Family Research Council, and we're going to be talking about hostility to religion. Mr. Weber, can you say a little bit about yourself and about the FRC? Absolutely. My name is Travis Weber. I'm director of the Center for Religious Liberty here, which uh, is, um, that means I'm basically responsible for religious liberty policy and, and how we monitor and deal with uh, the issues and how we address religious liberty issues uh, in our work here at FRC. In addition to religious liberty, we also focus on sanctity of life issues, a lot of focus on abortion and marriage and family. We, we deal with issues from a Christian worldview and public policy, though, so that includes other issues more broadly. Uh, and that's basically what the FRC does and engages on all his issues in the, the public conversation, in the media, and in the political realm. Well, the FRC issued a report originally back in 2014 on hostility to religion, the growing threat to the religious liberty of the United States. It has been updated this year, and I'm going to quote a little bit here from the intro. It says that a 76% increase in just three years concerning religious hostility uh, problems. And it says that this trend was apparent in the first edition and following the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell versus Hodges and other developments is even clearer now. So obviously you are saying that there is a marked increase in hostility to religion in the U.S. Interestingly, Another survey, this one conducted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, which, as you know, is an advisory body created by Congress to advise the State Department, Congress, and the administration on religious issues. And the introduction there states in their 2017 report, the state of affairs for international religious freedom is worsening in both the depth and breadth of violations. The blatant assaults have become so frightening, attempted genocide, the slaughter of innocents, and the wholesale destruction of places of worship that less egregious abuses go unnoticed or at least unappreciated. Many observers have become numb to violations to the right of freedom of thought, conscience, conscience and religion. Mr. Weber, I've spoken to friends of mine on the left who say that the hostility to religion is, is not true, that it's uh, simply a, a figment of our imagination. But the statistics seem to indicate otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is partly why we compiled this report. I mean, in addition to just generally tracking the issue, we want to have something to hand to people when they say, well, where's the evidence that there is a trend of uh, religious freedom violations or hostility to the public expression of religion? That's all tracked in our report that we produced. You know, and, and so they can look at this and say, well, yeah, there is a trend. There's evidence of that. 
you know, and, and we actually were conservative with some of our approach in terms of specifically you look at uh, the, Ob- the last administration, the Obama administration's approach through the executive branch regarding the HHS mandate and health care, forcing entities to provide abortion-causing drugs and services against their conscience. There were a number of entities affected by that, a number of lawsuits, but we only counted all of that as basically two incidents, one for for-profit businesses and the other for non-profit. You know, so the, the, the evidence is actually much deeper than then even, you know, we counted in that instance and other instances. And so, you know, I don't think people can really say there's there's no evidence of religious freedom violations, you know, where they, they might um, try to quibble is to say, well, you know, the, the, the approach regarding Christians in mean, you know, the United States is not as bad as it is around the world. And, you know, we wouldn't necessarily dispute that. I mean, religious freedom violations come in different forms of different severity, but they all need to be addressed. And just because some aren't as bad as others doesn't mean you ignore them. As the uh, uh, U.S. Commission said, I mean, it's just some of the less egregious ones are being ignored. And, you know, there's a couple of things here that have happened uh, just observing on the on the overall scene that really disturb me. One, for example, is the Southern Poverty Law Center, which has labeled groups uh, and specifically mentioning the FRC and other groups, for example, uh, Liberty Council and the Alliance Defending Freedom as hate groups because of the stance regarding gay marriage and uh, other issues along that line. And they... In fact, I, I think they actually said that the uh, uh, that the FRC has been working to make homosexuality illegal. Yeah, I mean, no, that's not what we're we're working towards. Um, you know, this these attempts though feed into the issue of religious freedom and freedom more broadly, right? Because you publicly stigmatize someone in the cultural conversation, and when that happens to a certain degree, it becomes acceptable to express hostility to them, to fire adherence to that view from jobs and the like. And this is why we document in Section 3 of the report this type of public hostility, though not at the hands of the government. You know, it is at the hands of private businesses, employers, the media, and other entities um, against those holding a a Christian view of uh, natural marriage or a Christian view of sexuality. So this type of public stigma, when it's attached to a belief or group of people, uh, it eventually makes it acceptable to discriminate against them, and that works its way into law. Though our, our own situation, comparatively, is not as severe. If you look at Pakistan and the uh, the cultural attitude towards anyone who does not adhere to severe forms of uh, Islam, pretty pretty radical forms of Islam, you know th- their lives are in danger sometimes just on a public charge. It's out in the media that so and so is accused of apostasy or blasphemy. They're attacked sometimes on the way to the courthouse, even though the law is actually somewhat protective of religious freedom in Pakistan. The cultural attitude is horrific. And uh, that's why, you know, they both matter. You can't neglect either. And um, that, you know, the situation in Pakistan illustrates why, you know, what a culture believes matters just as much as what the law says on paper. Something that strikes me along these lines, for example, we just discussed the issue of uh, gay marriage. The opposition to the concept of gay marriage as opposed to, for example, civil union, you know, what the state does is sets the state's business, whether or not we are forced to recognize it as a church is something else again. 
And what we have here is a, a case where this is a mainstream Christian view. Virtually every main, large mainstream religious body in Christianity, and actually at others as well, Judaism and Islam, do not recognize the concept of gay marriage. This is a mainstream view. I mean, Roman Catholic Church, the uh, Methodists, uh, the Baptists, the Lutherans, many of these groups, this is standard Christian doctrine. Suddenly, it is now referred to as being hateful. Yeah, no, you're very, it's very true in terms of characterizing where we're at with things. And as you point out, you know, it's not just Christians that hold this view. It's um, adherents of other religions, you know, and on our religious freedom policy related to this point, we're, we're, we're upholding and trying to advance strong First Amendment and statutory protections for those of all faiths, whether it's here in the United States or around the world. It's a, a human right, uh, religious freedom is. And, um, you know, all people deserve to have that right protected for themselves. Being a Christian organization, we focus a lot on incidents of concerning Christianity, but our policy is advancing and seeks to advance religious freedom for everyone, uh, consistent with, you know, the order of bounds of society, such that our Constitution or other governing documents in other nations um, is set forth. And so, you know, this is often overlooked by our opponents who want to paint us as just interested in protecting freedom for ourselves, because that's an advantageous argument for their own political interest. And, you know, for various reasons, they um, only focus on uh, incidents where the freedom of non-Christians is violated. But the same freedom in the same kind of situation for Christians is not, they won't speak up for it. You know, and so, you know, this is something that we're trying to advance for everyone, whether here or abroad. Well, the uh, U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom in their report says, and I'm quoting here, you cannot have religious freedom without freedom of worship, freedom of association, freedom of expression and opinion, freedom of assembly, protection from arbitrary arrest and detention, protection from interference in home and family, and you cannot have religious freedom without equal protection under the law. I, I would agree with a lot of that. You know, I think we have to be careful to not lump religious freedom in with other human rights, and then all of a sudden uh, what are core human rights becomes eluded because they're lumped together with rights that are not core human rights. But that general phraseology that you just um, uh, quoted to me, I would say is, is overall pretty true because if you define it just, for instance, as freedom of worship in a house of worship, you know, you cut religion off from someone's life, uh, from their work life, their home life, their civil society life, and that's not real religious freedom. So, obviously, the how the right is protected, the manifestation of it, must be robust. And generally, we've had a robust protection in the United States under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and the Free Exercise Clause, historically, internationally on paper, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights, Article 18, protects the right to hold beliefs and to manifest those beliefs. So on paper, those are good protections. The, the key is to make sure they're upheld around the world. In many places, they're not, even by nations that have signed on and become parties to those, uh, that treaty, the, the ICCPR. And so, you know, this is something that we're trying to advance, but we have a good mile marker, a good goalpost in terms of what we're aiming for. Well, within the United States, for example, we have always had groups for, ex oh, I'm going to quote the Freedom From Religion organization, who are just plain hostile to religion, period. Okay, they're private citizens, they've got their own views, I understand that. But one thing happened recently that really disturbed me, and that was uh, Senator Sanders, the independent uh, senator from uh, Vermont, was questioning the appointment of, uh, of a man f to uh, public office. 
And he rejected him because of his traditional Christian belief that salvation is held only through acceptance of Jesus. And he, he being Senator Sanders, said this is everything from Islamophobic to hateful, and he was going to vote against him just for that purpose. Now, over and above the fact that the Constitution specifically prohibits religious tests for public office, this attitude in a public official is frightening to me. I would agree. You know, and this is an incident that we documented in our, in our report. Um, it, it occurred just before the report went to print. But it, it is really bizarre and troubling, uh, you know, for several reasons. One, you know, Sanders, Senator Sanders seemed to miss the obvious distinction between theological authority and civil government authority, which uh, Vaught was not, um, uh, you know, Vaught had, had drawn a distinction there. He was making a theological point regarding a private religious school, not a civil government point, which Sanders seemed to focus on. The other point was, you know, just the other reason this is problematic is it just shows an ignorance on Sanders' part of basic Christian beliefs that many people hold. You know, and if, if all of a sudden this is um, a test for public office to disqualify a majority of the country. Well, it's not just that. The you, Even if the senator was... Well, I'm, I'm questioning whether or not the senator really was aware of this. If he was, to me, this is out, outright religious bigotry. This is this is standard mainstream belief for Christians. How can he but, possibly attack it? No, I would agree. You know, and that's why. And it's it's um, you know, it's it's bigotry or really severe ignorance. But either way, it's problematic, and um, I think needs to be publicly condemned. And um, you know, we've we've tried to really focus on this and um, had a petition on it um, and, and calling for um, the public condemnation of, of his, his statement and comments. And so absolutely agree. I mean, this, that's the type of thing that we need to guard against and, and publicly speak out against if you're going to have any sort of uh, tolerance or civil discourse going forward. Well, we can certainly hope it goes, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Has there been any feedback from that petition? Well, um, we've gotten a lot of support for it, and, you know, we really haven't seen Sanders continue to hammer on the points he, he made and initially defended uh, in, in the media. So I think he's gotten the message. We have to make sure that others get that message, too. Mm. Well, something else uh, that is perhaps a little bit on the bright side is we're finally seeing a couple of court decisions that um, that have a, a ray of light, I think, for for people of faith. I'm sure you're familiar with the Trinity Lutheran case there. The Supreme Court just ruled that uh, a uh, an organization cannot be rejected for a public uh, for a public uh, program solely on the basis of its religion. And uh, I think it was a seven to two decision. It wasn't even close in the Supreme Court. The fact that two of the liberal members sided with the conservatives, I think, is a very hopeful point. The other thing is the Supreme Court has agreed to take up the case of Masterpiece Cake and uh, the uh, Christian uh, the Christian cake decorator who declined to make a special cake celebrating gay marriage. It'll be interesting to see how that comes out. But I'm the fact that the court actually ruled in favor and ruled overwhelmingly in favor of the Trinity case and now finally has agreeing to hear this, the Masterpiece case, which is just one of several that are very similar to this, gives the impression to me at least that finally we're going to get some adjudication on this. Well, you know, I hope so. And, and it's good to see Justice Gorsuch on the court. He's, he's weighing in on the right side of these cases. 
the Trinity Lutheran case, it was good to see a big victory there. I was at the oral argument, um, and while usually it's tough to predict how the justices are going to vote, I thought it was clear at the oral argument that you did have seven who were skeptical of Missouri's position there and the, and the arguments the state was making. So it was good to see that affirmed in the actual ruling, which was a strong ruling for free exercise, clearly articulating on the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. On that basis, the church was protected, and the government could not treat the both church or religious groups differently and less favorably than non-religious groups for a public program, in this case a grant program, distributing money to refinish playground surfaces. So this was a good ruling. Uh, it will help religious freedom more broadly. We've yet to see if it's going to translate over to Masterpiece because the issue there is different and it does involve same-sex marriage. So, you know, we, we we hope that the, the broad uh, support for religious freedom, including Justice Gorsuch's reasoning, he wrote a strong concurrence in Trinity Lutheran, his reasoning and thinking is influential on the court and carries over to these other cases. Masterpiece will be ruled on next year, and um, there are cases that will be impacted by Masterpiece. Well, it's not just a matter of... Uh, of uh the cake making itself. We were talking about, uh, we discussed earlier, there's a difference between freedom of worship and freedom of religion. And freedom of worship, as you pointed out, is just for worship within the house of the Lord, whereas freedom of religion is what we do in our everyday life. And the gentleman with uh, Masterpiece, uh, Masterpiece and other similar cases are saying that they have to practice their religion and they have the right to practice their religion at their places of business, places where they own. And it's a matter, I think, not just of, uh, of religious freedom, but we're also talking about artistic freedom and freedom of speech. And even more importantly, against compelled speech. Yeah, I mean, this is all at play in these cases. And like you point out, they're objecting to being forced to create a message involve their, uh, what they believe, and, and being forced to involve their person and their conscience in something which goes against their conscience. They've, you know, when customers come into their shop in, in multiple of these, of these cases, uh, the, the owners of the shops are, are providing uh, what uh, providing goods to these people who come in their shops, regardless of who they are, and they're not they're not turning away people who may be same sex attracted who come into their shops to buy things. And this point must be communicated because uh, those uh, you know people who are hostile to their position to the the owner's position know this, but they're overlooking it because they know it shows the owners are very reasonable, and they're not you know they don't they don't have any problem with the customers who, who, who are same-sex attracted coming to their shops and buying anything. They're objecting to being forced themselves to participate in the same-sex wedding ceremony, whether it's a florist creating um, an arrangement, a cake uh, baker creating a cake, or a photographer photographing that ceremony. So this point is crucial to be, uh, you know, to get across. To re it's crucial that it remain part of these stories that are told. And it will make the argument, their argument stronger, these small business owners' arguments stronger when they make them in court because, you know, this, this shows that they're objecting on a religious basis, on conscience grounds, not just some matter of broad um, refusal to serve anyone. Yeah, and that's the point, I think. There's one thing to provide a product. It's something else to create something special. And what they're doing, I think, is they're saying, well, look, we're not discriminating against the gay people. We are discriminating against the event. And no, you're, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this is... Uh, 
this really puts the the argument much more in line with what's protected under the First Amendment. There have been there's precedent on this. You know, you had a parade organizer in Boston who um, uh, was sued because a, um, a gay and lesbian group wanted to participate in the parade, and, and the, a, in a unanimous opinion, the Supreme Court said they can't be forced to portray a message that they don't want to portray, uh, to speak a message they don't want to speak. And um, that was the issue. It wasn't about whether uh, you know they were turning someone away or not. Now, I mean, the issue is somewhat related, obviously, but the focus of the court's decision was on you're forcing them to speak a message they don't want to speak. And likewise, the Boy Scouts versus Dale case on freedom of association grounds, the court ruled for them similarly and said they have the autonomy to define who they are by who they invite into their group. And so, uh, you know, th- these cases are really in line with those. Um, they're not some general discrimination type case like opponents want to portray them. Well, what do you see for the future? We're, uh, we're coming up into, um, you know, into an interesting period of time. We're six months into a new presidential administration. Uh, we're seeing some court cases. What do you think is going to be happening? Well, you know, it, it's tough to tell at this point, but we must remain vigilant. And although there's been some good action on religious freedom from the, the new administration, you have an executive order that's starting to play out in its uh, in manifestations uh, throughout the agencies where to protect religious freedom, the HHS mandate, which has been so problematic for religious groups in, you know, as part of the health care, part of Obamacare, that looks like it's going to be addressed. And um, we have to continue the press, though, because things are not completely uh, done. There are issues which need protection, not only at the state level with the federal local or i'm sorry not only at the federal level but the state local level too so you know we're seeing some some promising developments but we must remain focused on addressing what still needs to be addressed and obviously this you know i'm really even focusing my comments on the domestic issues here overseas we continue to need to uh, address uh, those affected by the genocide in the middle east and other international religious freedom violations and the united states has an important role to play in that and so we really need a focus on religious freedom in our foreign policy. So, you know, the general overview I, I would paint as some good steps. We need to continue to focus on addressing the issues. And I'd like to mention to our audience, if they want a copy of the report that uh, you have just released, you can get it. they can get it on your website, frc.org. That, that's, that's correct. They can go to frc.org forward slash hostility report. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Weber. I really appreciate you and the work that you've been doing, and thank you for being on the program. Thank you. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.